All right, here we are. We are Motor City Metrics back in action. No intro today because I don't have a board. I don't have stuff like that. You'll hear no Chris Russo drops, which you may or may not dislike. But yeah, I am your host, Chris Brown. Along with me are we got Uber and we got John. Rahelia will be joining us from after softball at some point, I think. If not, we, we do have some recorded audio from him. He's, it's a very heated softball game. I think they're playing against the try-hard team. team. The team has a little bit too much triarea in them. And, uh, but we can handle this. And this is probably one of the more enjoyable times that we're talking about Tigers baseball after a three-game sweep with the Mets. Yeah. Like people are feeling pretty good about the team. I guess I should probably mention all the things where you can find us, right? You can find us on all podcast locations, what Spotify, iTunes, Google, Spritz. I don't know the names of them all. Roger, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yeah, all that good. Of course, follow us on YouTube and all that. Get up the Patreon. But yeah, guys, we uh, we got to watch. First, there was a rainout, and it's been garbage weather here in Michigan for yeah. 10, 12 days in a row. I, I started mowing the lawn on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, and it started raining too much, and I had to stop in the middle, and I haven't had a chance to mow again. Like, literally, <laughs> it's been wet the entire time. So I've got, like, a little, like, old-school, early 90s, high-top fade of a, a front yard right now. But, Very nice. uh, but yeah, I don't know if you guys want to guess we could just start with the usual, like, what were your takeaways from, from this series against the Mets? Sure. Uh, you, what, what do you think? Was, let's put it out there. They, that was a 101-win a team that they faced this week, and they swept them. And for the most part, they looked pretty good doing it. The first game, it looked like things didn't look too great. They were a little sloppy in the beginning, but they came on strong, one game one. Game two had control the whole way. And then today, Eduardo Rodriguez came out and pitched the way he's been going at him for a month now. And it was really impressive to watch. I was at work. I was ducking in and out, but I, I watched I probably saw almost, I would say 90% of the batters because I was, I was focusing on his innings. Man, it was good to watch. And he just works all four quadrants of the strike zone so well that the umpire was giving him a lot of strikes because I think, the command was so good. Where the pitches were going, the up was giving him a benefit of the doubt on a lot of pitches, but he earned that. So it was that was impressive today. They beat Verlander and Scherzer. Probably wouldn't have taken a whole lot of money on that bet, but there you go. You can't predict baseball. One of the oldest adages of all. What about what about you, John? Anything you took away specifically? Yeah, so I tried to take a little bit of a bigger picture type of view. So my first one was Scott Harris's ability to identify talent. Like Zach McKinstry, I know Raj is going to touch on him later. Matt Veerling had a big game against Max Scherzer, had a home run. Nick Maton, who I know we're going to talk about later, he's struggled a little bit. There's some debate about him, but I think those three players for the price at which Scott Harris got them, they're so controllable. They're still so young. His ability to identify talent and find guys who, like Youper used to say, get 2% better. They're the new Willie and Harold Castros and Victor Reyes, but they're so much better. These three guys that not a lot of people knew about heading into this season have combined for eight home runs for the Tigers. And yeah, obviously their defensive versatility. Matt Veerling is one of the better defenders on the Tigers. I think Scott Harris in his first offseason has shown that he can find undervalued players and get more of them out of the Detroit, which is what we've been asking him to. Other kind of hot take I had was the Tigers. I think they're going to have two all-stars this year. Mm. Obviously, I think both of them pitched today and Eduardo Rodriguez and Alex Lange. I want to talk about Alex Lange a little later, but yeah, those two have been absolutely fantastic. And 
yeah, we could maybe get into some other players that would be all-stars, but I think those would be my two picks. They've certainly pitched like it so far. And then the Tigers, I think, will finish over 500 in the month of May. So they have 27 games in May. 19 of those 27 games are against teams that were under 500 in April. They, they play the Nationals. They're playing the Cardinals, which have really struggled. They got the Royals, the White Sox. They're 3-0, off to a good start. The offense has been a lot better in May. So those were my three takeaways from these three-game sweep for the Mets. Yeah, no, I, I, for me, it was just they got a little bit of production from everyone. Yeah. And they got a lot of bit of production from a couple of guys. Like Eric Haas and Javi Baez really seem to have really nice breakouts. I don't, we talked on Monday. I don't think any of us pro- were projecting a sweep. I think we probably would have, probably expecting one and two and hope for two and one. Because it's so hard to win both ends of a doubleheader anyway. Even right. if it doesn't matter how good you are and, and how bad the other team is. But yeah, just Haas coming up with a big hit in game one of that doubleheader. The, the, well, for him, the three-run homer and then the big two-run single later. And then you've got Torkelson had a big double in a game. Green had the home run today. Baez has had a couple home runs after we put out a tweet. Or I, I put it out. <laughs> other the, the, the metrics pointed out that he was one of five players with zero barrels this year. And since that tweet, I think he's got two barrels. So there's people are working on that. But then, you know, like Michael Lorenzen, seven innings. That, that was outstanding. Uh-huh. Yeah, they just, they're, they're getting a little bit of production for everyone. And those two starts right there, that saved the bullpen quite a bit. We haven't, we saw what, Foley for an inning, Holton for an inning, and Lang for two innings. Is that it in the last two days? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. I think AJ Hinch even talked about it. Like, just, just the confidence, the way Eduardo Rodriguez is pitching right now. How, how it makes everybody confident. They get those two runs in the first inning against a Hall of Famer, and they feel okay about it. And you're like, all right, I think Erod's going to keep us in this. And sure enough, he did. So it's, it's, it's nice to see just a total team effort for a whole series. And yeah, hopefully they can keep things rolling as they head into St. Louis, where a team that is absolutely reeling right now, and not too many people are sad about it, I don't think. No, they're not. Yeah. One thing I saw on Twitter, and I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts, is a lot of people were giving Alavila a little bit of credit because Eduardo Rodriguez is an Alavila guy. Alex Lange, Alavila guy. Jason Foley was an Alavila guy. And even Javi Baez has shown some signs of life. What are your guys' thoughts on that, people? Obviously, we all think he deserved to be fired, but a lot of his guys, per se, have, haven't been too bad to start this season. I hesitate to give him a ton of credit Again, and we've gone over a lot of reasons why some of it goes back to Chris Ellich and what he would let him do. Alex Lang has come up through the system. Draft pick. Actually, no, they got him in a trade. Excuse me. A solid move, but at the deadline, they were just getting bodies and they, they hit on one. That's great. That's what GM should do. The free agents, if you had talked about Baez and Rodriguez last year, everybody said it was a disaster in year one. Year two of the first month, Looking pretty good right now. I think anytime there's a regime change, there's going to be some residual effects both ways. Right now, when they're on a little three-game winning streak, it's easier to look back at a couple of things he did that worked and just dwell on that for a day or two. But people go back to ripping them very soon, especially if they hear the Marcelo Meyer podcast on MLB Pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the thing is, I think just about everybody liked the Eduardo Rodriguez deal. And yeah. I, I mean, the, the bummer now is that they gave him that opt-out after two years. Oh, man. And so, yeah, I'm going to probably end up doing a, a kind of a deep dive on that later. It's like Tigers, 
the sad reality is they probably will have to trade them. We'd all like for them to, hey, still be a contention around the trade deadline and, and you know what, make a run for it. And then, then after the year, maybe try to extend them or something like that. But he's such an affordable pitcher right now. And the way the market was last year, seemed like everybody in his neighborhood was getting $20 million a year that he's at 15. So he's going to opt out and get like a five-year, $125 million deal probably. But still, I, I like that deal. The Javi Baez deal is still, I don't know. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it went far beyond the product we see on the field with, with Avila. There were things, all, all the minor league stuff. We, Raj and I have talked about the players. We have super excited now that they have good food. And you don't know <laughs> if it was Avila so much as Illich or what. But yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't give Avila credit for this team being four games under 500. It's like, oh, they're still a pretty bad team. They're still like the bottom 10. They're playing well right now, but yeah. by this is year, whatever, seven or eight of, of what was supposed to be the rebuild that was supposed to be done last year. And there's a reason he lost his job. So you can give him credit if you want, but it's not going <laughs> to help. He's somewhere cashing a check and, and eating dinner. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if we want to, if we want to dig into the Cardinals at all for the upcoming series or. or um, yeah, they were. They were one of my good, bad, the ugly, but okay. we, we could talk okay, about them. Yeah, we know we can talk about them now. They're 10 and 22. They're, I don't know. They're like, their team OPS is 738, which isn't bad. Their team ERA is 4.70. That's not horrible, but yeah, they're one of, I think they have the worst record in the National League right now. Yeah, third worst record in baseball. Only, only ahead of the A's and the Royal. Amazing. Very, very rare sighting for them at the bottom of the standings at any point in a season, even though it's still fairly early. It's just an organization you expect to be in the upper division of, of, of any race. Odds are they'll turn it around somehow. They still have seemingly a, a fair amount of depth in that organization to try to bolster things a little bit. I'd be surprised if they don't make some kind of run through the summer to get back to 500 and see if they can poke around in the race. But as of now, they're, they're, they're playing dead baseball. I've seen them a few times. Montgomery has pitched a couple of decent games, but bullpen wise, they've been pretty shaky at the back end and their offense doesn't seem too lively, much like the Mets for all the money, the Mets have poured into it. They, their bats were, they went pretty silent this week, whether that was the Tigers doing it to them or just the fact that they're not hitting that great. We'll see. But yeah, I. I wish I could have gone to this series in St. Louis. Things didn't work out, but I think the Tigers got a shot to go in there and win a couple of games. Yeah, we talked about it just a second ago. It's baseball. You never know. It's our Cardinals might be playing some of the worst baseball in across the league, and they could sweep the Tigers in three embarrassing games. It, it, hopefully not. We like to think that, uh, as you said, us heating up, Baez is heating up. Abanez is playing pretty well. And like, there was a lot of talk earlier in the year about Jonathan Scope being kind of expendable, right? Or, or people wanting to get rid of him. At the time, it was like, nobody's playing. Well. Yeah. Now, you got McKinstry playing second. Ibanez was playing a solid second. Zach Short came in and did his thing in a small sample. It's, it's, he's not getting much playing time, like at all. So I, I don't know what they're going to do with Scope eventually. It wouldn't shock me if he, at some point, is just released because they have a bunch of bodies who are performing. Yeah, he's him and, him and Cabrera are kind of sitting together over there, Quaver. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, Cabrera was not feeling well, I think right. he said. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's there. He's hanging out. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That was to John's point. People, Nevin came up and didn't do much. He finally hit that home run. They gave him a shot. And they brought up Abanez instead of, everybody wants Malloy up. We talked about it a lot on Monday, I think, about how he, we don't think he's quite ready. And I just watched a minute ago, he struck out looking with the bases loaded in a 5-1 game in, in the eighth inning. It's unfortunate. And it, they've got the, uh, they have the automated strike zone going in Toledo too. So he couldn't, it, it looked like a ball, but he got the break. Any of it. Yeah. So some of these guys they're, they're bringing up to help are helping Tyler Holton. I don't think anybody really, I like what I saw from him at the very beginning, spring training reminded me of Tyler Alexander, just a, a lefty with it, very average, below average velocity, but a decent cutter and, and knowing how to pitch and does job. And so, yeah, I think I, I did have a question. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, Hey, is there anything that Scott Harris has done to impress you so far? It's still so early, right? But yeah. Yeah, I would say so far, more of his little tiny moves have worked out than haven't. So that's progress. Yeah. And I don't know. I just want to ask you, because it's so early, we're 30 games in. I think me and you said 40 or 50 games in. Is Uh when you can really start to make a judgment on a team. 30 games in, has this team changed your mind in any way for expectations for this year? Are you still... High 60s, low 70s win as what you've seen over these beginning of May. Has anything changed for you guys? Not really. Yeah, I I, I agree. I would feel a lot better if we were getting more than sporadic production from Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. That that remains the key to the season, I think, for or or to exceeding expectations. Because those two guys have to figure things out and, and perform well regularly. We've seen some flashes here and there. Riley Green had a, he pulled a home run today. Everybody was excited about. <laughs> and then I had a little 40 mile an hour infield single the opposite way. And like I said, Torkelson hit that double, but that double got him like his batting average over 200, I think. It was like, hey, well, victories. So I, I'm still thinking about 70 wins. I haven't done the math yet to see what their current win percentage equates down the line but uh, yeah you win three games in a row you automatically feel optimistic that they have they've already had a five game winning streak and a three game winning streak so they're capable of playing solid baseball we've seen that it's just a matter of, of doing that more often than not and uh, i don't know i think they're on about a 69 wins pace right now more or less yep. i'm not much to change my thoughts either i know some people want to put a little bit of stock in the fact that they've been curb stomped by the al east but have managed to beat everybody else no, I did not get a chance to verify this stat, but I did see that of the games that they've won outside the AL East, they have a very good record, like 11 and two or whatever it is. They're only plus 11 on run differential. So they've just squeaked out a lot of these wins and they're not exactly dominating their way through these other teams. And that's probably to be expected. They don't have a very good offense. And Chris hit on exactly what I've said for a long time as well. Torkelson and Green. They didn't bring in any big bats, any marquee players. So if this season was going to amount to much, those two guys had to take big steps forward. And frankly, they've, I don't want to say regressed, but they've plateaued. They're not doing anything special yet. And again, the season's still very young. We're less than a fifth of the way through the season. But you know, they're a 13-17 and 17 team. I think they've pretty much earned being 13-17. and 17. They've had some really nice little two and three game stretches all that have been a lot of fun to watch well yeah that that's been, probably been my biggest takeaway is eduardo rodriguez 
and I've gone back and forth. I think a lot of people are under the impression that he's probably going to get traded. Me personally, I would like to see him stick around just because I think he's a pitcher that is looking like he's going to age pretty well. But yeah, if Scott Harris can get uh, another Justin Hunter Malloy, I think that's probably what he's going to do. But that would probably be my biggest takeaway so far out of the first 30 games. Yeah, that's something I'm, I'm going to write an article yeah. about it, I think, because it's it's fascinating to to think about. Because, yeah, the, the problem is, as we said, he's going to opt out. And now there's, there, there are, you, he would be foolish not to, right? He's only 30. He'd get paid a lot more than he will be getting paid with the, the players. There's a possibility, I think, that they could restructure his deal or add a couple of years to the end of it. But to make that worth his while, you're probably talking about paying him $30 million in year four and five in his contract, at which point he's probably far less effective than he is right now. He's 34, yeah. 35. So it's just a tough situation to be in for the Tigers because, yeah, you'd, you'd love an anchor like this in your rotation, a guy you can trust. He's not a dominant ace like Verlander and Scherzer in their heyday, but, boy, he's he's an awfully good number three, and when he's at his best, he looks like a number two. And that's that's super valuable to this team, but then you have to figure that's going to be a, a pretty good commodity on the market too. Now he's, It's an expiring deal, so you're not going to get a, a ton for him, but depending on the market of Shohei Otani, is it for sale? He may be the best starting pitcher on the market. We talked before, I think Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito could be on the market. Maybe if the White Sox blow everything up, then they could even do Dylan Cease, which would, I, I think, be the best player. There, I'm sure there are a bunch of arms we haven't considered yet. But I still think you can get some decent pieces. Like you said, Justin Henry Moore, I think you can get something like that. As a matter of fact, I think you can get a package where he is your top, the top part of the, the deal, but you're also getting a couple other guys who would fit into your top 30 prospects because I compared it to a year. It, this is more like six years ago now, but and you're different pitchers. But when the Rangers traded you Darvish to the Dodgers, I think they got four prospects for him. And yes. the top, top one was Willie Calhoun who didn't work out. He was like, he was a top 100 guy. That's you Darvish. So I wouldn't expect it to be that good, but I'm thinking of something similar, like a, a deal where you're getting maybe a top 100 type and a couple other guys. So it may just be something the Tigers feel like they have to do or risk losing him. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't think the <laughs> Nationals want to trade CJ Abrams, do they? Not for you, right? <laughs> no, I don't think the Nationals not. are really going for it. But yeah, somebody, Jacob, Jacob Van said he appreciates CJ Abrams. Uh, there was another question here. Jacob also asked if, if Joey Gallo is striking out less than Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. And the answer to that is no. Joey Gallo is striking out 33% of the time. But I think Green has got it down to about 30. The, uh, the top strikeout player in baseball is Trace Thompson. You know, oh, the wow. guy that people, people wanted there for a while. And, you know, you know the, the bloom fell off that rose, I guess. <laughs> Never so, saw that coming. 34-year-old. <laughs> yeah, Riley Green's at 31.5% and, and Gallo's at 33. Okay. So. I, I did see a question from Stan. He said, does the panel think the 2023 team is worse than the 2022 team? No, I don't think so. No, I, the 2022 team was bedeviled by injuries like you wouldn't believe. This team hopefully will stay a little healthier, so it might have a little staying power. Obviously, a lot of those guys who went out last year are still out this year, Mize and Scooble and so on. But I, I think this team is a little more solid defensively. And... They can't hit any worse. And at some point, as the weather heats up, hopefully 
they'll outpace last year's squad. Yeah, I think to your point earlier, John, where you were talking about that they replaced some of the anchors on the team, beloved though they may be, the Castros yes. and Jamer and, and Victor Reyes. Those guys were all kind of one or two dimensional players, and they've replaced them with guys with more well-rounded games. They're they're not superstars. They're not even stars, really. Not even all stars. They just they might even be average players. Not, not even they, starters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some places, they're starters, but but they are they provide more than those other guys they got rid of. It was addition by subtraction, and so that alone I think makes them better. And then yeah, it's a matter. I I remain amazed that the bullpen has been as good as it is. Mason Englert is low-key MVP of the bullpen. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't think this team is, is, is as bad as last year's cursed, the cursed Tigers. Tigers. What about 2021, though? 77 win team. I remember started 9-24, and they looked like the dregs of baseball. Okay, mm-hmm. They got on a nice roll through the summer months. I think this team could be as good as that team even if they don't win 77 games. Yeah, I, I, and that was that was a weird. It, it was the opposite of last year, right? Where like suddenly, like everything just seemed to click. You had a Kilbadu coming up and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, he hasn't hit for power since then, but somehow he was a power hitter for four months of the year. Uh, Scope had six weeks where he terrorized baseball. <laughs> yeah, you know? Robbie Grossman went twenty twenty. Robbie Grossman, he hasn't done much since then. So sometimes baseball's weird like that. I bet. Yeah, I think the talent level is probably. Maybe slightly less than that team, although you have Baez and Erod now. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> hard to judge. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. We were getting all sorts of questions over here in the in the chat. I don't know if we want to answer any of these. Let's see. Dom says any sleeper hitters or pitchers that can emerge as trade chips. You thinking the, about on the current teams? Yeah, for the Tigers. What about Eric Haas? I mean, yeah, I thought for a couple of years now that Eric Haas is a very interesting trade chip because he's another guy who can get really get on a roll and and he plays catcher at least passively and plays outfielder wait i look like robbie grossman and I, robbie grossman looks like me okay this is sorry i've, I've been distracted by tyler matson in the, in the chat said robbie grossman <laughs> noted chris brown look like and anyways yeah so yeah house would be an interesting potential trade chip particularly if now it's very very early but dylan dingler has been absolutely terrorizing baseball down in the minors <laughs> yeah he was okay. He was he was doing it in low A ball on a rehab assignment in Lakeland. You're like, okay, fine. But through three games up in Erie, in Bowie, he's got a couple homers, and I think he's he's probably six for fourteen or six for ten or something crazy like that. So if he prog- progresses with the bat and comes up, then you've got you got Rogers, you got Dingler, you you may be able to move a Haas if you want to. It, in the the pitcher trade candidates, I don't know. You guys have any idea? Boyd and Lorenzen, but they really haven't pitched well enough to really get much back. Lorenzen showed some signs, right? He'll be on such a short deal. Could they trade him and get another Alex Lang type? Maybe. I think that's what you're looking for. Someone like that is probably going to bring back a relief arm. Same with Eric Haas. I like Eric Haas, but he'll be on a contender. He's going to be a backup catcher, occasional right-handed pinch hitter off the bench. If you get a a relief pitcher for him too, you're probably doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that, that would strike me a little bit like the the Justin Wilson, Alex Avila deal where Haas would be another piece, I think, in a deal. Like, he's probably not going to be a starter or any kind of contender, like you said, but he could be a helpful lefty masher. Wait, yeah. I don't want to trade him. I, I don't, and, and like we talked about it before, like, I don't really want to trade Alex Lang. 
But if he keeps pitching like this, and he's one of the better closers in baseball at the trade deadline, and you're the Tigers and you don't really need one of the better closers in baseball, I'd at least listen because yeah. most relievers don't have a run of success for more than two or three years. Particularly, I would think a guy who throws so many breaking balls at off-speed pitches, at some point that there might be an issue there. But I don't want to trade any of these guys. I'm just, we're just speculating about who might be valuable at the deadline. Yeah, I think the takeaway I have is last year they didn't really have any trade chips. I think this year they have a few trade chips now, at least one in particular in Erod, but even Alex Lange would be a pretty good trade chip if they decided to trade him. Yeah, last year they had, they had with Fulmer, they had Chafin. They, they didn't trade Chafin for some reason. Amazing. And, yeah. and who else? Yeah, Jimenez and Soto. They could have traded all those guys. They waited to the offseason, probably got better deals, I think, than they would have gotten at the deadline. Although, who knows? Who knows what was going on in the front office at that point? Avila was gone, what, less than a month later? Or five That's days later, wasn't it? It was like April 5th or August 5th or 6th, something like that. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, so that was always been strange. But in any event, I don't know. Do we have any other kind of today topics before we want to get into the segments? No, I just saw it. Joey Winch get traded, but I don't really, I wouldn't look too much into that. He's got six years of control. Yeah. He's, he's made like eight starts. He's shown flashes, but, and, and I, I've always liked Joey Wentz, but yeah, I would give him another year or two to see if he could actually be a viable starter. It will be interesting to see what, if anything happens when Scoble comes back, because I think he had another bullpen the other day, I, I, I guess probably seven, eight weeks before he's pitching with the Tigers again, if everything goes well. Maybe less than that. I don't know. It depends on how many bullpens they're going to want to, when they start bringing in breaking balls and when they put them in rehab assignment. But yeah, they could do Boyd or Lorenz into the bullpen easily enough. They could yeah. send Manning or Wentz down. If they're not pitching well, there are a lot of different options there. But that will, I think, definitely be a welcome return. I don't know what to expect from him. It's uh, Boyd seems to have come back okay. From that surgery, maybe I think he had a setback though last year, but I don't know. You know that, that'll be look something to look forward to. Maybe that'll be their their trade acquisition, as people always like to talk about. Yeah, instead of making a trade, we're just going to get healthy guys back. Oh yeah, you could replace you could trade Erod and basically replace him with Tarek Skubal. That's yeah, you could. Not too bad. So yeah, we can get into the inside the numbers if you want. Raj had his inside the number. That works for me, yeah, if you can play that for me okay. since I have no skill to do this. Okay, so this is our own Raj. This is inside the number for the week. Hey, everybody. Hey, it's Rogelio, and obviously the crew's going on without me, so I wanted to record my inside numbers because the Tigers just swept the Mets. There's a couple numbers that are worth looking at that I should want to, ch I want to chime in on, and that's the play of Zach McKinstry. And the two numbers we're going to look at with him is 38.3. And 23.2. The 38.3 is his hard hit contact, which helps his barrel rate. He's got a barrel rate right now of 14 point. And he has his other many barrels this year than he did all of last year. He has seven this year, and he had all five of last year. The 23.2 is his strikeout rate, which is below the league average of 27.2. That plays a big part, perhaps why his X batting average is 290. So, Tigers figured something out from spring training from a guy who batted 097. Gotta give Sky Harrison out of here. And that's my inside number of the week. Good job, Raj. I, I do, that's, yeah. 
That's going to be hard to top. <laughs> and that's he, funny. I, I have, I have McKinstry as my good tonight. So I'll try to add on to that, what he said. But yeah, that was good stuff. Uh, how about, how about you, Yup? What's yours? My numbers are 26 and 6 and 20. Very simple what they are. The Rays are now 26 and 6. Kept playing. They took it to the Pirates this week. We were talking, we talked about that a little bit. The Pirates playing well. How would they look against the Rays? They didn't get crushed by the Rays. I think today it was 3 to 2, but the Rays took a sweep in the series. The 20 is obviously they're 20 games over 500. That is the fastest out of the gates for any team to get to 20 games over 500. They're at thir- they've done it in 32 games. That's the fastest since, you guessed it, the 84 Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers made it that year to 20 games over 500 in 28 games. They were 24 and 4. Just shows you the level of baseball the Tigers are playing at that time. You got to remember, this was the 1980s, probably the time of the best parody in professional baseball that they've ever had. There were a lot of good teams. There were very few weak sisters out there. To get to 24 and 4, and then ultimately 35 and 5 was a sustained run of excellence, unlike that we'll probably never see again as Tigers fans. The Rays, they're not quite to the 35 and 5, but they're, they're, snip, they're on the horizon of it. They're 26 and 6. It's impressive baseball they're playing. They're getting star level play from Wander Franco. They're getting star level play from Randy Rosarena. They're getting really star level play from Josh Lowe and a few others. It's, it's very impressive how they put this team together. Uh, to me, I think they look built to lap because they just have so many different guys. If one fades out, they have others to rely on. So getting to 20 games over 500 this quick was my inside number this week. Nice. John, what, what do you have for us? So I had Alex Lange, but since we already talked about him a bit, I want to go to 3.53, and that is the team ERA for the New York Yankees. And I've seen a lot of talk about the Yankees on Twitter about how they're last place in the AL East and the sky is falling and and all this. But considering the fact that Carlos Rodon hasn't pitched yet, Frankie Montas went down with injury. They were dead. Luis Severino, I don't think has pitched either. Garrett Cole's been fantastic, but I, I don't. I see a lot of people just worrying about the Yankees. Their pitching, I don't think, is really the problem. I would be more worried about their offense. Anthony Volpe has been pretty solid for them. But I don't know. Just just the Yankees. Maybe it's just Yankees fans, but this whole the sky is falling because they finished, I think it was one game over 500 in the month of April. A lot of people seem to be panicking with them right now, and I don't really understand it. You still have Judge. You still have Rizzo. You have some young players coming up, Jason Dominguez. And if that rotation gets back and healthy, they've already been a top 10 staff in baseball, despite a lot of people saying their entire pitching staff has been injured. So the Yankees, I think they're going to be okay. They were my pick to win the AL East. I still think they make the playoffs. I still think they're a top probably two, maybe top three team in that division. And I think the Yankees will be okay. When is Stanton coming back? Oh, by a month or so. I they think. can never keep that guy on the field. That is such, he's been such an amazing talent and a gift to baseball, but boy, he's had no luck in terms of just, he's a, he's a piece of fine china at times. That was one of the problems. Like 
Every now and then, guys are just too damn muscular for their own good. I feel like Luis Robert is the same thing. They're just, there's just like this 100% sinew. And sometimes that doesn't work out for you. Like you, you turn the wrong way and it hurts. And yeah, for what, forever, it feels like Judge and, and Stanton are on the IL, one or the other, or both. So yeah, but I also, it feels like every year the Yankees are like, oh, it's a disaster. And then in the year, they're winning 88 to 92 games, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So see, my inside the number this week is, I've got two. It is seven and 1.81. So those are the number of starts for Eduardo Rodriguez and his ERA so far, 1.81. So this one was fun. It came from, from our Discord chat, Briggsy. He asked, when was the last time a Tiger starter had a sub-2 ERA through his first seven starts of the year? Um, I don't know if you guys care to guess on that one. Verlander. Incorrect. Scherzer? Incorrect. Jumpship Thompson. Incorrect. Matthew Boyd in 2021. Oh, yeah. Wow. I did not remember that. I barely remember him being on the team in 2021. What? What's fun, though, is, is the last time a starter, his was like 194. So Erod's 181. The last time a starter had an area of that 1, 1.81 or below for seven starts is another one you probably wouldn't guess. If you want to guess again. I will say it was in, it was in the teens. Here. In the, in the teens. In the teens. Yeah. Not, not Doug Fister? Rick Porcello. Nope. This is... Wait, what think, year? Think of, the, think of the least likely person you would think. I, I, probably not the least likely. It's 2016. I was going to say Brad Penn. <laughs> Donald Day. Mike, no, not Michael. He's no. Definitely not Mike. No. 2016. It was Jordan Zimmerman. Oh, ah, yeah. It, it, seven in, yeah. in his first year with the Tigers, he had a 1 5 ERA seventh start. And then he hurt his neck or I, yeah, his neck or his back, shoulder, something like that. And he was just never the same since. I was at the game where he came out. We were in the like the special buffet area. Nice time, but that was a bummer. But yeah, so I, when I was digging into that, I, I thought it was wild. Before Zimmerman, Scherzer did it in 2014. And then Verlander did it the year before, 155 ERA. Before that, you have to go back 20 years to David Wells in 1993. And then before that, Doyle Alexander after the trade wow. in 1987. And before that, Mark Fidrich, but not 76. Yep. It's 77. His, his other kind of partial good year. Yes. Uh, and it, it's only been done. Erod is the tip. People forget. To the people forget. He, he wasn't totally done. He was hurt, but he came back. Yeah. For a short time. But yeah, yeah Erod is just the tip Tigers pitcher to do that in the integration era. Only 10 guys have, have their first seven starts of any ERA that low. So I thought that was fun. So yeah, we can, we can now roll into the good, bad, and ugly. I don't know. Did Raj give us one of those two? Or is he going to call it in? Or did he have a video for it? I does not have a video for it. All right. Fair enough. John, He's you want to batting with the bases loaded right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Hopefully he gets some video for us. He's doing yeah. his best. He's doing his best Spencer Torkelson. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. Okay. So my good is the Los Angeles Angels. Now, every year I like to drink the Angels Kool-Aid. It hasn't worked for me yet, but they've had a, a decent start to the season. They're 18 and 14. They beat up on the Cardinals. Um, Shohei Otani is, I'd say, the MVP right now. He's been fantastic. Their pitching's actually been pretty good. I think it's 11th in baseball right now. Patrick Sandoval has been a really, really good starter for them, looking like he could be a frontline starter. 
They obviously added Tyler Anderson. Carlos Estavez, a 30-year-old reliever, has been their closer this year. Has been pretty, pretty solid. And, yeah, obviously their offense, they have some big names. Obviously, Trout, Notani. But Renfro has been really good. Brandon Drury, I know a lot of Tigers fans wanted him. He has six home runs, I believe, so far this season. We've got Taylor Ward. We've got Jared Walsh. They made the trade for their catcher, Logan Ohop, I think it is. Well, I traded Br- Oh, a happy traded Brandon Marsh, which some fans have been critical of that. But I think the Angels, I still think they cap out at a mid to 80s, maybe high 80s win team. But I think their offense is pretty solid, and the Mariners haven't gotten off to the greatest start. Still a little weary on the Rangers. I think they've been good. I think the Angels should still compete in, in the AL West, and I think the hope for them is they don't have to trade Shoah Otani because I think that's the worst-case scenario for them is Otani, they're just out of it, and then they're forced to trade Otani. I think if they're not having to trade Otani, that means they're in the playoff race, which would be good for baseball. We all want to see Otani in the playoffs. We all want to see Trout in the playoffs. Trout's getting up there in age, man. He's in his 30s now, hasn't won a single playoff game. I don't like the Angels as a franchise, but I, I hope they're able to to make something happen and just be able to have at least one playoff start for Otani, I think would be great. My bad would be my take on the Boston Red Sox. I had them as a team. I thought they were going to win 69 games this year. Actually, that was my prediction. The Red Sox are a lot better than I thought they'd be. Their offense is one of the best in baseball. Team OPS at 805 right now. Yoshida has been really, really good. 29-year-old. Looks like he's going to be a mainstay for them. Verdugo, I know a lot of people clown them for the Mookie Betts trade. Did they get equal value for Mookie Betts? I don't know. But Alex Verdugo has been really, really good. He's obviously a couple years younger than Mookie Betts. And yeah, they did get the shortstop Jeter Downs. He didn't work out for them. But I think that trade is not as bad as fans make it out to be. Obviously, Mookie Betts is getting paid a lot more money than Verdugo. And Verdugo has been hitting at the top of the lineup for him. Been really, really good. You obviously have Devers. Jaron Duran, who I get him confused with the Pistons rookie, Jalen Duran. He's been really, really good and limited at bats, too. So the Red Sox, they have a lot of young players they can build around. They have Tristan Cassius, who was my pick for rookie of the year. Hasn't been good so far this year, but maybe he can turn it around. They have a good young core offensively. Pitching-wise, they're going to have to figure it out. But the Red Sox, I think it's not too far-fetched for them to be able to compete for a play-in spot. Play-in is <laughs> a playoff a spot. Podcaster. Yeah, sorry. I'm... It's playoff mode right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. They can comp- compete for a, a playoff spot, I think. And then my ugly would just be the Cardinals. They've lost six in a row, lost nine out of the last 10. And yeah, the, the, the weird thing is, like, Goldschmidt's been pretty good. Arenado's been good. Nolan Gorman, who I know a lot of Tigers fans were dreaming of trades for him this offseason. He's been really good as well. I'm going to say it's a little bit fluky. I still think they're going to win that division. But so far, probably one of their worst starts probably in a really, really long time for the Cardinals, who, yes, just got beat up by the Angels pretty bad and are now 10-22 and 22 on the season. Yeah, I think the Cardinals have had one losing season this since since 2000, something like that. They're just always good, so this is very unusual to see. That, that, sorry, but what yeah. they win in 2021, didn't they win the last 17 or 18 games or something they, like that? Yeah, they had a, a ridiculous winning streak. But yeah, we talked about with the Pirates banking those early wins. Banking a lot of early losses doesn't help either. That's right. We saw the Tigers. The Tigers did it a couple of years ago. We talked to, they got up to 77 wins and it felt like a minor miracle. I don't know. 
But again, don't feel too bad for the Cardinals. They've been, they'll be all right. And one, just one, one thing I want I agreed with you on the Red Sox. I thought they were going to be bad. And I was watching Erie was playing their double A affiliate the other day. And they had a couple of prospects on that team. Nick York, people might remember he was, he was in the top 100 briefly after a really good first year. And then he struggled the next year, but he looks, he looks legit again. And then they have a center fielder by a shortstop. It's the Dane Rafaela who looked really legit too. So they got more help coming, unfortunately. Yeah. Marcel Meyer. Yeah, that guy. I think he was four for four today or something. Yeah, with a homer, I believe. Yeah. You, what's your good, bad, and ugly? Okay, my good's very simple. Tigers took on, like I said earlier, a 101 win team this week, got a sweep. But the bigger part was to see Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander come back to Comerica Park, both take the mound against the Tigers, against the Tigers team that we have very limited expectations for at best. And to beat both of them. Hey, that's just, you got to feel pretty good about that for the Tigers. You saw a lot of people reminiscing about the the good old days. Even Verlander indulged in a little bit of that, about how good those teams were and how much fun he had and what a blast it was to come to the park. It was good to see some of the energy in the ballpark today. There were some people really whooping it up and having a good time. That's certainly been missed in Detroit. So it was fun. Even though they're in different uniforms, it was great to have those two back. Max Scherzer is one of my favorite pitchers of my lifetime. I love that guy. Certainly. Justin Verlander as well. I didn't expect two wins, but it was it was pretty sweet to see it. So we're going to call that the good. My bad is not the act itself, but the reaction to the act. Last night, Wander Franco yielded a routine ground ball at shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he had plenty of time to make the play, so he threw a little sauce on there. And he, he flipped the ball up in the air with his throwing hand and plucked it out of the air. And then he made the throw. It was certainly a hot dog move, okay? No question about it. He was putting a little flair on things that probably isn't necessary. But I saw a lot of people, especially some ex-players, really criticizing it as, oh, just the, the biggest affront to the unwritten rules, a new, new frontier of unwritten rules being broken there. Let it go, okay? That's the kind of play, as long as you don't screw it up, go for it. The first time he drops one, then I got to believe the manager takes him aside and says, we're not doing that anymore. But he made the play. It was a lot of fun. It got endless retweets all day today, that kind of stuff. Hate to say it, whether you like it or not, it's good for baseball. Uh, Have a guy from Tampa be the big news of the day, even for a play like that, it is a good thing. The guy's a great player. He wants to make a couple plays like that. I'm okay with it. My ugly, going into college baseball, hmm? University of Alabama, oh. fires their coach today. Gable. A gentleman named Brad Bohannon. The implication sounds like he's going to be in a betting scandal. And he, so he was dismissed with really very little to no investigation being done today. It sounds like when they were playing LSU last week, the starting pitcher for the role for the Crimson Tide went down late and he got scratched and they were putting in a kid who had not pitched since the middle of March. And suddenly at a sports book in Cincinnati at the banquet or what's the ballpark called in Cincinnati? Great American Great ballpark. ballpark. Yeah. Great American ballpark. Thank you. There's a sports book there. Evidently. Okay. And uh, two big bets came in on Alabama very late and they both got flagged by the system as suspicious. And with a little bit of 
investigative work, it turns out Mr. Bohannon's phone was talking to someone in Cincinnati right before the game. Looks like he made some bets on his team to lose. Not that it matters if he would have bet on them to win. That's still wrong. But you bet on them to lose. And I would say he's going to have a hard time finding future employment if that's the case. So could get ugly in Alabama as the follow-up from this continues. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I remember at first I saw the reports of suspicious betting activity about that game and was like, huh, that's odd. And then to find out the head coach is involved. That's not great. Not good. No, not I, good. <laughs> I'm amazed we don't see more of this. We're, we're seeing some of this. We saw with the Lions players and staffers that got suspended and some of them are basically out of jobs now. A couple of the friends roster guys that with sports gambling so prevalent. I don't think it's going to affect the big time players because they make so much money. It's just whatever. Okay. I don't need a, another $2 million, but yeah, these guys in the fringes, your, your college baseball coaches, you're like, sure. Yeah. I make a couple hundred thousand. But what's odd to me is it, it probably got flagged because I assumed LSU was a heavy favorite anyway. LSU, you know, Maybe it was just the amount. Yeah. yeah I assume. I also <laughs> saw some people saying, if you would have bet on them to win, that'd be okay. Mm. Oh, no, it's not. It's, He's a manager. If he has a bullpen yeah. arm who needs a day off, but he wants to win that damn bet, you think he's going to put that kid in there to pitch? He might. Yeah. Get a couple more well, outs. It, it seems it, it's pretty simple. Don't bet on your team or on your sport. Yes. You, know, you can bet, bet on some other things. Fine. You can bet on the horses. Still, absolutely. Bet on the horses. You know, don't do it from your team's facility. That's not a good idea. The Wonder Franco thing I thought was, was pretty awesome. It did remind me of seeing Major League where Willie Mays, Mays make the basket catch. Yeah. And the coach says, great catch. Don't ever have to do it again. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like he got that. But I also pictured, you know what I pictured? Little leaguers across the country the next day trying that. Sure. Which maybe is not the best thing for fundamental baseball. But if they're watching and having fun, that's fine. I remember when I was in Little League, we used to try to turn barehanded double plays all the time. You don't have to do that, but you saw some guys do it. You're like, that's awesome. I want to try that. Yeah. yeah. And it never worked. But well, so what? Why, why what, would, what do you think would have happened if he would have went for that and bobbled it and the runner would have been safe? You think he gets pulled out of the game? Possibly. Yeah, Possibly. I, would, I, I would think the manager would pull you if you're trying to be like slick. It also helps that they're 20 and six or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can do some Harlem Globetrotter stuff when you're awesome. Maybe you don't you pull can, that when you're You can do that stuff, but you got to do it right. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing I meant to talk about, that there was a guy named Jeff Fry, he's a free agent. He used to be an infielder, I believe, for the Orioles. He was talking today how there would have been fights when he was playing if somebody did that, or and there would have been brushback pitches. And I'm thinking to myself, think about what you're saying. The act by Wander Franco hurt nobody. Okay, mm -hmm. nobody was hurt by this. Your feelings were hurt, maybe, but that's it. Now, the feelings of the old school guys are hurt. Nobody was hurt. But their solution to it is to throw punches and throw 90 mile an hour fastballs at people. Okay. Yeah. Think well, about that. I don't know. Did you see there was a clip of, I think it was Eric Burns talking to Will Clark. Will Clark, one of the most famous a-holes in yes. baseball. They were talking about Ronald Acuna hit a home run and really enjoyed it. He took his time running the bases, did all sorts of stuff, did the, the crossover, like Euro step, everything. And, uh, and so they asked what he would do. And, and Will Clark, I think, said that they would plunk him. And then they'd throw over to th first base three times and smack him in the head with the glove like three times. I'm like, what? Jeez. Yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, good for you. That's uh, another one.
So yeah, my good bad and ugly. It's funny. I didn't, as usual, we don't like, communicate beforehand. And so my good was exactly good. I, I don't have to, Raj picked out a couple numbers that are, that are interesting that I didn't pick out, but just want to give credit to this guy for the people who wanted him out of town immediately. They didn't want him to be on the team. He got a slow start. Everyone's like, what's going on? But May 4th, he leads the team with a 115 WRC plus. And, and like we said earlier, there's nothing crazy about it, but he just does a little bit of everything. I think he's third in batting average on the team. He's third in walk rate, fourth in ISO power, first in, tied for first in steel, second in more. And the, but the one interesting thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about it in, in Discord a little bit today, is uh, there's a stat over at Baseball Savant called Sweet Spot Rate. And there is some confusion about that with, with some people because you're, you're naturally thinking sweet spot is, is hitting the ball on the sweet spot of the bat, which is actually what, what Baseball Savant would call a barrel, basically. But the sweet spot they're talking about is, is actually the ideal launch angle. So, which in this case is between 8 and 32 degrees. So you can go there and you can look at average launch angle, but you can get an average, a good average launch angle by hitting nothing but pop-ups and nothing ground balls and be a terrible hitter. But guys who hit the ball consistently in that 80 to 32% or degree sweet spot range tend to hit very well because you don't necessarily even have to hit the ball hard. It's just the perfect launch angle to get over the infield and, and in front of the outfield. Like, so I, in Zach McKinstry, sure enough, tied for 11th best sweet spot rate in baseball right now at 44.7%. So Almost 45% of the balls he puts in play are in that ideal launch angle, which is probably, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at his career numbers, but it wouldn't shock me if that's something that the Tigers looked into and said, hey, this is a guy who can help. And if, if anybody's curious who, who leads at Sweet Spot this year, Freddie Freeman is first at 49.5, and then you got Luis Arise second at 48.4. And Luis Arise is, is a guy that people have been wondering. Like, he doesn't hit the ball hard at all, but he keeps getting hits, and it's because he has that sweet swing. So... I think that's maybe something to keep an eye on with, with McKinstry. So I thought that was fun. Good, if you will. My, my bad is, uh, is Daniel Espino. This is a bummer. I was announced that he was, he's a highly touted pitching prospect for the Cleveland Guardian. He's going to undergo shoulder surgery. He will be out for 12 to 14 months, if not longer. Food over. You never know with shoulders. You hope it's not a, like a front end Perez situation, but shoulders are so tough. And, and what the biggest bummer, and obviously, he pitches for a, a rival. They're not going to be too sad about it. But he really, when he was healthy, had arguably the best stuff in all of baseball. Yeah, it, it was his fastball was like ninety-seven to one hundred and one, just every time. A wicked slider, a really good changeup, a really good curve, threw enough strikes. Like he was nasty. But he hasn't pitched. He made like four starts last year. Hasn't pitched since last April, and now he's not going to pitch all this year and probably half of next year. And it's, you, you just, I don't know, you feel for a kid like that because he was so talented and it's just, it, it, it's a reminder that pitchers can break so easily and so thoroughly and it's just a real bummer. Did you see so, Ricky Tideman went out, went down tonight? I did hear about that. And uh, I know he had had tweaked his something earlier in the year. And of course I have him on my fantasy team in my keeper league. So Me that's too. a bummer. <laughs> he was a yeah, guy he, uh, he, th he threw a curveball for a strike and all of a sudden he did the old arm shake. Pointed at his elbow when he took him out. Yeah, that's bad news. So we'll see Ricky Tiedemann in 2025. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. But it's the nature of the beast, right? Like, it just, we see this with pitchers all the time. And certainly Tigers fans saw plenty of it last year. My, is it Scoobal and Manning? Somebody earlier, I, I, I don't remember the name. So why does Manning keep getting hurt? The one, like this most recent one, that's just bad luck, right? He caught it, a comebacker to the foot. Like, that, there's nothing you can do about that unless you wear work boots. 
on the mound, which I don't think is legal unless you're a Sid Finch. Uh, I, and, and my ugly, my ugly is going to be uh, letting pitchers wear it. In, in the past few days, there have been some really ugly starting pitching lines. Today, it was Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. Gave up 10 runs on nine hits and just two and a third innings. It's, it's ERA from 394 to 6-2-9 in one start. And then yesterday, it was Braxton Garrett for the Marlins. Gave up 11 runs on 14 hits and four and a third innings for the Marlins. His, his ERA went from 2-4-5 to 5-8-1. And that just, that sucks. It ended up a couple times every year with every team where they just need the starter to go out there and, and wear it. Yep. Oh man, that's got to feel awful. When you're just up there, you can't get anybody out. So that was my ugly for this week. Okay. Do you want to get into questions now? Yeah. Unless we have uh, anything else. Do we have any questions here in the chat that people, yeah. work has the worst luck. Yeah. If you, anyone has we... any questions, just feel free to drop them in the chat. I'll get to this one real quick. The MX9 says, why do you guys think we haven't brought up Malloy? We talked about this a fair amount on Monday. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have any specific things that are different than what we said on Monday. No, I just don't think there's a huge rush right now. I think, I think they still need to figure out what his best defensive position is. And obviously, it's all going to boil down to his bat, right? That's how he's going to make or break his time in the big leagues. But you still need him to play somewhere. They still need a spot for him. There's nothing wrong with giving him another hundred or more at bats at AAA to make him prove this hot start is the real thing that he's ready. And again, the team is well under 500. I'd yes, they aren't far out of first place. I get that, but they're also not very good. So yeah. you want to balance the team needs versus what's better for the player long term. Yeah, I, I, a lot of people say, let him cook. There's yeah. these, these fun phrases that the youngsters use now. They let him cook, and, and I've seen Justin Henry Malloy. People <laughs> like to say, so he's him. What we said on Monday was basically, it amounted to he's not ready quite yet, and he's one of the prospects, along with Parker Meadows, that when they bring him up, they want him to stay. They want him to be absolutely ready to come up. And uh, yeah, he struggled for the last two weeks. It's relative compared to how hot he was, but he's not. This is this is a guy who is not as good of a prospect as Spencer Torkelson or Riley Green by any stretch of the imagination. He's a solid prospect. He's not a top 100 prospect. You might argue they should be. But uh, yeah, just because he's performing in AAA, we've seen over and over again, and I might have to go out and, and do some research and post like, okay, here's Tyler Nevin's OPS in AAA. Here's what <laughs> he did in the majors. Here's Green's OPS in AAA. Here's what he's doing in the majors. It's, it is the largest leap in baseball going from AAA to the majors. Players in the major leagues are incredibly good. It's unfair. Uh, so you want him to be absolutely ready in every aspect. You want him to be ready to, on defense. You want him to be mature and ready and not not head into a team that's been struggling and feels like they need an offensive boost. You want him to come up when he's ready. So I think that's the main thing. And then also, we talked about it, there might be some slight you know, service time manipulation happening. They want to wait until he clears a certain date so they get an extra year of residency. Uh, yeah, I did see a question from Detroit Degenerate, which I, this is one I've thought about, and it's, do we see Detroit being spenders in free agency this offseason? Obviously, no Miggy on the books, Scope will be off the books, Lorenzen, Boyd, all that. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Obviously, I know you who are of the opinion that the market this year isn't particularly attractive. With that being said, there's always somebody out there that can help. 
And when you look at the Tigers spot by spot on this roster, there are upgrades to be had. Okay, let's face it. It all comes down to Chris Illich. And I, I'll be a broken record. I'll say it till the cows come home. If he wants to spend, they can spend. There are no restrictions other than the ones he puts on himself. So what will Scott Harris do? He did say last year that all avenues are open. It's going to be up to Chris Illich to prove that that statement by Harris is true. They didn't do it in offseason number one for Scott Harris. You have to believe that at some point they know they have to add some talent from the outside if indeed they want to contend. So I would hope they do. I just prove being a putty. Yeah, there are some interesting players who are going to be free agents next year. They're, they're, Tigers are not going to be waiting under the show Otani Waters as much as we want them to. They don't, they're not going to be spending $500 million on a player. Even if we search our couch cushions, it's not happening. He's not coming to Detroit. But they're, they're like, there are players they can go out and get to make the team better. And you don't like to think about it, but if they need a first baseman next year, there are a couple available. Reese Hoskins will be coming off his knee injury, but he's been a solid player. There are some, some fairly cheap guys you can get. Matt Chapman will be available. And there's their, at third base, there are upgrades you can get. I'm sure they will spend some money. I, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to sign anybody to a seven figure deal. I'll say that. I can imagine maybe a, a small army of one to two year deals, four or five guys like that, just to make an eight to $12 million a year or something, just trying to upgrade it at certain spots. But hey, yeah, who knows? They, they spent a little bit of money on bias. Okay. But again, it was a year where there were five mark, five shortstops on the market. Most people had him ranked fifth or fourth. So they, they went in on the cheaper end of the market there. The Erod tr- deal, very affordable. That's a contract any team in baseball could afford if they want to, in a heartbeat. And both of them, they gave themselves a two-year out. So they, they limited the investment. So when people, I've had some people tell me, I mean, Illich spent. Yeah, he did, but he didn't really follow through. It was a kind of a one-time thing. We need more. They need more. More evidence that he wants to compete. Yeah, I like the like the one or two year, maybe three years at the most. Like we saw with Carlos Rodon when he was signed to the Giants. I could see a deal like that because there are some pretty good free agent pitchers: Jack Flaherty, Aaron Nola, Julio Urias. I think Urias would probably get a long term deal. Dak Scherzer has an opt-out. So pitchers like that, offensively, there's no one too special. Cody Bellinger's a free agent. I don't He'd probably be seeking a long-term deal. Tim Anderson has a club option. I don't know if the White Sox would want to let him go. But, yeah, I think more deals, like we saw this offseason, but I think just a little more bigger in value, maybe like a $15 million a year, $20 million a year, like what the Cub did with Cody Bellinger, I thought was a really smart pick up for a team like that so i can see moves like that but nothing long term like a four or five years six year deal committing to these guys the cubs brought in bellinger but they also went and got dansby swanson and trey mancini and someone else who was escaping me at the second tie on tie on it was not being good there you go he was hurt right he's been okay or he's one of those guys that i was like thinking about picking up a fantasy because his FIP is much lower than his ERA, which is usually a good sign early on in the year. But yeah, we got a handful of questions here on the side. I, I will say, let's see. Uh, Jacob Pam said, are the coaches in AAA doing a bad job since the numbers are worse than the majors? I, I wouldn't say blame it on the coaches. No, it, it's the talent level. 
it's it's the advanced scouting it's the it's the major league this is this is the real deal they are spending times finding out your weaknesses exploiting them forcing you to to adjust there the level of preparation is ridiculous you you can People don't believe it, but they will say, okay, here's the plan. We're going to throw these two pitches here, and the third pitch is going to pop out to right field. And they execute that. It's that ridiculous. These pitchers, they don't make many mistakes. And for, for a hitter, you, you have to capitalize on 70% of the mistakes to stay in the big leagues. So it's it's just the level of competition. I, coaches can always be upgraded, I suppose. To me, it's a lot of it is is having a consistent message at every level. A ball through triple A to the major leagues. You want you don't want to be giving these guys conflicting information. And unfortunately that happens a lot. They're just not everybody's always pulling in the same direction. So hopefully the Tigers are now. But then we said, okay, so we got any word on Casey Mize? We haven't heard anything more than than the periodic injury reports they put out, which I think he's been playing catch three times a week, right? Yeah. Like he's a guy he theoretically could come back in like September. And if he does, I, I doubt they'll do that. But if he does, I would imagine it'd be like a Michael Fulmer thing where they're pitching three innings tops. He pitches three innings every sixth day or something like that. Otherwise, you think he, he just, they just let him pitch at the Instructs or even Arizona? Yeah, I would think so. That would be interesting. I, I think he possibly could go to the Arizona Fall League, which would be wild because we do see that, that sometimes the big leaguers play in the Arizona Fall League. A couple of years ago, uh, Lars Nukbar was out there, even though he had played a bunch in the... In the Big leagues, and he came back and had a good year. So, yeah, that's a possibility. Just get him some inning. Tyler Madsen, am I saying Torque will be leaving? That was more of if if it becomes apparent that Torkelson ain't it, well, if you will. Yeah, so there's a question that said, how long would you stay with Torque if he keeps treading water? Yeah. Yeah, I. it's a weird thing because he's not performing very well, but he's showing enough kind of flashes and you're seeing him hit the ball hard and, and it's like you feel like there's there's a way for him to turn the corner and start producing he doesn't seem to be in over his head right it, it's like not striking out a ton it's just he's just not hitting the ball where the fielders are and it's not all bad luck like i said a part of that is they're attacking him where they know he'll hit the ball yeah. throw the ball here he's gonna hit the ball there they know what they're doing so he's got to make some adjustments but I don't think they would give up on him. You would basically have to involve him completely flopping, like going down to 150 with zero power where they're like, okay, I don't know if this guy can do it. We need to bring in a veteran just in case. But that was just speculation on my part. So there are a couple of interesting names there at first base. Do you think um, he gets a, a 800 at-bats? 1,000? I would think, yeah. So he's at, what, 500 and something now? Mm-hmm. For his, yeah, yeah. I, I, They're going to give him, I think, 800 to 1,000, yeah. I would think you'd get the rest of the season probably. Again, like I said, unless it just gets super ugly and you got to yeah. send them away. He's getting booed and stuff. But they're going to give him time because they have, like, they gave him $8.4 million. They don't want to lose that yep. investment. And yet it's not a sunk cost just yet. Sometimes guys take time. On a similar note, I got a question from at Spartan DE. He's a listener. His was a similar question, but about... Nick Maton, how much longer do they stick with him? When does he get fitted for a Mudhead uniform for a while? <laughs> oh, part of the problem there, right, is is they're just absolutely attacking him with breaking balls over and over and over and over again. 
and elevating it. And that might just be his kryptonite, which is unfortunate because he is doing a lot of stuff. He played really well at third base the other day. He seems to be really liked by his teammates for the most part. They love the the wolf thing. They love howling. He's got some power. He had that big walk-up home run against San Francisco. But yeah, it's tough to stick in the big leagues if you're going to be batting 150 or whatever he's hitting. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they do there. What's interesting, though, too, is, yes, yeah, I think Dickerson said today, he'll be seeing sliders in his sleep tonight. And he's sure. probably right. He's getting ugly. If you look at his number, his, his K rate is not, at a career low. It's the best. His walk rate is at a career high. The barrel rate is at a career best. Hard hit rate. But his line drive percentage is off the charts low, way lower than it's ever been. So the numbers just it's all over the map. They weren't as terrible as I thought they'd be for a guy hitting a buck fifty. Yeah, his BABIP is like one seventy, which would indicate a lot of bad luck. I do wonder. I'm checking now. I I suspect his launch angle, his average launch angle is pretty high. Twenty one. I feel like he twenty one. That's that's not. Outrageous. I, it's still, you want probably under 20 his ideals. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, he's, he's still doing enough that I think you can keep him around, but I, I don't know. Yeah. If at some point you want, you need to get that batting average up just to stick or stick in the lineup. Yeah. I think if there was a guy you could look at to replace his at bats, cause he, I think he's played majority of his games at third base. Obviously McKintree could maybe be that guy. Abanez, I've been impressed with him. I don't know if there's anyone, any youngsters coming up through the system, like a Winsel Perez or Lipsius, who was really ready to contribute at this point. And like you guys have said, some of the underlying numbers have been encouraging. So yeah, I'd give him another month. Uh, and if, if he's still hitting this poorly, if his average is still this low, then maybe you could seriously look at that. But like for a team that doesn't really have expectations to be a playoff team, I don't know. I don't think he'd be on the hot seat necessarily right now. Cameron Evans sent us a question, which we'll probably get to later, but I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll grab a part of his question and put it on Maytime. If this club is somehow still a few games out and we're in late July, then yeah, you probably got to try it. You got to at least try, and you probably got to take him out and, and, and plug in something else. Yeah. But until then, until the team has really shown that there's even any chance, and we're not there yet, I think you let the guy play because at least he plays some defense. He can help you in some ways. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. If if he gets to the point where the Tigers actually like, hey, if we win more games, we we have a chance to make the playoffs. Then you go, we gotta stop playing these guys who aren't performing. And I think that's gonna be a kind of a theme for the Tigers in the future. We've seen it even they've made a bunch of minor league signings. Guys aren't performing, and they're bringing in these veteran minor leaguers to to play. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You keep playing them until it becomes unplayable. I guess that's that's not a, a terribly concise answer, but <laughs> I, I think it, it hasn't happened quite yet. Somebody else, oh, Alex asked, do we, do we, I think Colt Keith will get promoted to AAA soon? I No, probably when Justin Henry Malloy gets promoted to Detroit, probably in June, possibly July. He's been playing fine. They're, they're double A, they're attacking Colt Keith a lot with high fastballs, and he's having trouble laying off of them so far. He can hit them. He's a hitter. He hits everything, but they're getting them out that way, so he's got to make an adjustment. 
Yeah, I don't think there's a, a particular rush with any of these guys. But that's the thing. If Maton struggles, Malloy would probably be the next man up. I would think they might actually finally bring him up and and, and let him play. And then if Malloy is well or hits well and, and Maton, he can play other, other places. He can play outfield, he can play second base, he can play shortstop. So it, it's nice to have those options with him. So what other questions do we have here on the side before we... Stick with Matt Veerling. I feel like Matt Veerling's... I've been pretty impressed with Matt Veerling so far this year. Yeah, it was funny. We, we were waiting. He's kind of a, a red-headed Riley Green. Hey, is he ever going to pull the ball? <laughs> and he finally did against Scherzer. He pulled a, a big-time home run. I think he's been playing well. It, it's He's another one who's, who's like the souped-up Victor Reyes. And he doesn't walk a ton. He doesn't string out a ton. He puts the bat on the ball hard. He plays quality defense. All right. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Hans Fuchs, thank you. Now we I feel like we gotta explain that to the podcast. Let's <laughs> what happened happened. We got Dr. Hans Fuchs said, I'm watching your show naked drinking Bud Light. Now oh, we awesome. had Dr. Dr. Hans did give us money for the minor league podcast the other week and, and we thought maybe it was a fake name. But there is a well, Dr. He's Hans got a Fuchs. Light. He's the real man of genius. There he is. He gets, there's a Dr. Hans Fuchs, who's an internist in Pennsylvania. It's Dr. Hans, we salute you. We're going to, oh, there's the Dyko. So, yeah, I, mean, I think those are all the questions there on the side. Do we have any more in the mailbox? Yeah. So, Deadly Ninja Bees, loyal uh-huh. listener, said, Is McKinstry good now? I think we touched on him. I think he's better than we expected. I, I wouldn't say, Yeah, I did. Is he, is he a starter? At this point, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wouldn't go good, but he's close to average, which is good for this team. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, my so are the Tigers leaning towards taking Walter Jenkins with the third pick? That's an outfielder, correct? Walker Jenkins is an out- outfielder from North Carolina. Six big power. Three, he is. 205 pounds. Yeah, you big power. It might have the best hit and power combination outside of Dylan Cruz. Reminds me a little bit of Riley Green, lefty with size. He's currently playing center field. Most people think he'll move to a corner. <laughs> it just depends. The likelihood is that he will be there and Langford will be there for them at three. Possibly Langford will. My guess is if, if it goes Cruz, Langford, one, two, the Tigers will take Jenkins. If it goes Cruz, Skeens, one, two, the Tigers will probably take Langford. But again, the draft is still two months away. So we're really going to dig deeper on these guys soon. But that's my thinking now. I think I think Jenkins is their preferred high school bat, and Langford is their preferred bat overall. Yeah, it really both. It just it seems to me, and again, you really can read a lot of different things. But it's the Tigers are in a fairly sweet spot, picking number three. There seems to be like five guys right now who've really separated themselves from everybody else. So they're going to walk away with one of them. It's just a matter of who goes first in front of them and then who they want to pay. We didn't mention Max Clark here. He, but I think a lot of people have him in that range. Yep. And he's probably someone who can stay in center field if they're, as he matures, we'll see. But yeah, I'm a big proponent of best available guy. So if it's the picture yep. from LSU, I guess that's the way it's going to be. But a lot of people in Tiger Nation yeah. will lose their mind. Yeah, if they don't me, walk away with a big bat. Me included. He's he's so damn good, but yeah, it's it's just tough. Yeah, it's there's some people say all things being equal, take the college bat. 
but I think it, I don't think it matters because you, you take the bat who you like the most because yeah. go back to 2019, the Marlins took JJ Blade right before Riley Green, the Tigers took Riley Green, and I think Green beat Blade to the majors and has a much more promising future. <clears throat> you just you take the bat you like more, so that's that's where I would go there. And Jacob Pam, he said, should the Tigers trade up number one pick? You cannot do that in baseball. Yeah, you can you can trade. Very limited picks. You can trade competitive balance picks, which are going to be in the 35 to 40 range, I think, and like the 70 to 80 range. Tigers have made a couple of competitive balance picks in their history. They made the first one ever, actually. First ever Major League Baseball draft trade in the Jacob Turner, Annabelle Sanchez deal, I think, 2012? Yeah, 2012. And then they traded a competitive balance pick to the Rays <laughs> in the Austin Meadows trade. Sure. We we gotta check up how whoever they pick how he's doing. Do you do you know it, it was it was an outfielder from um, Northern Illinois? I want to say or he was shoot I've, I've forgotten his name, but I think he's in low A high A. I, I haven't heard anything about him turning it up and being a top one hundred prospect. But it's the Rays, so he'll probably be yeah. in the big leagues in two years. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I did a little bit of draft research. I think Dylan Cruz yeah. is probably the consensus number one. But like Uper said, I remember the Pirates tend to go a little bit out of the box with their picks. Henry Davis was really like out of pocket. No more, no mm-hmm. world pick. I really like Wyatt Langford. He's a guy is low strikeout rate, high walk rate. I think he's a guy that controls the strike zone. I think he's a guy that could interest Scott Harris. So I'd be really, really happy with him. But I think at number three, there's like three or four outfield prospects you really, really like at the top of the draft. I don't want them to take a pitcher. I understand best available. I just think with all the injuries that we've seen, I just think it's more impactful to get a guy who's going to be in the lineup every single day instead of a guy who's pitching at once every fifth day. So I'm in that camp of just, as long as it's not a pitcher, I'll be happy. <laughs> it really seems to me this is one of those years where if he continues to hit like he has, Dylan Cruz is is making himself the number one pick bar none. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because there are years where... You know, we haven't and ha who who number one overall is, and it, it changes three, four times, and it really depends on who the club wants to pay. But then there are years like the Steven Strasburg year and others where number one is number one. And if you pick anybody else, you're nuts. Okay. And really Dylan Cruz has that that look and that aura around him at the moment. So I don't think the Pirates will throw a, a curveball this time. Certainly anything's possible, but I think that's how it's going to go. And that's where the Tigers, the bad luck they've had. Well, the Casey Mize year, there was no big time guy, just a, a Bryce Harper. That, that was not there. So Mize kind of by default glided into that, even though he had arm problems the year before, which drove me nuts. But, <laughs> and then he had the next year, Abby Rushman was number one. There, you weren't going to debate that. Okay. Tigers didn't get that. I mean, it could have been Bobby Witt, but really it was it was Adley Rushman for the last month or so. And then here we get Torkelson. Not a great draft year. The top of that draft and the end they ended up with Torkelson because of the resume. And it's just how things have worked out for the Tigers. Yeah, and it's kinda of, kinda of wild. We were just looking if you look back at those top fifteen picks from twenty eighteen, there's there's a whole lot of nothing there. It's it's yep. Mize, you got Nick Madrigal, you got Alec Baum, you got Jonathan India, just a bunch of guys who are okay. Um, I think you have to get down to Shane McClanahan before you get like a star, and he was like the thirty first pick. Yeah. 
And then same with 2020. 2020 was the COVID year and everybody thought Spencer Torkelson was that guy that won one because of the production. But I do feel like if they had had a full season, he probably would have gotten nitpicked a lot more. I'm yeah. sure people did their research when he was a sophomore and, and with Team USA and stuff. But then you look at the top of that class, it's pretty rough. Yep. The, the guy I wanted, Austin Martin, has been pretty pedestrian at best in, in the minors. On his second Asa, team. <laughs> Asa Lacey has been very bad. The, the kid the Marlins took was good from Minnesota, but he blew his arm out. So you got to wait on him, Max Meyer. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it, 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 the best player from that draft was Spencer Strider, who went 120th or something like that. It, it's just a, a strange year. And he completely changed who he was in, in pro ball. He changed what he threw and how he threw, and he's been awesome. Yeah, you, you just don't know. I think, to, to you, point, I was going to say the same thing. Like, at this point, it does feel like Dylan Cruz is just the best player, and, and you just, you, you don't overcomplicate it. You take the best player. And what's something we talked about before, they, they finally, the bonus pools were static for the last three years and they finally upped it again. So the pirates with the first pick get like $9.7 million. And mm. I think Torque still has the, the record for the biggest bonus at 8.3 or 8.4. So that's going Cruz, down. Yeah. Dylan Cruz's that's agent, going down. the pirates can be like, here, we'll give you the biggest bonus ever, 9 million. And we'll still save 700,000. They can spend later. They don't need to get super greedy. Now, it, who knows? Maybe they have Langford graded the same as Cruz and they can get him for $3 million cheaper. They might do that. But I think this is one where you, you don't get cute. You just you just take the best player and and that's what you do. Well, yeah. there will be uh, there will be some... The Tigers have a chance to... They have, what is it, I think the 37th pick and the 45th pick to go along with the third pick. So they have a chance to play with some money and, and hopefully they will. I'm, I'm very eager to see what they do in the draft under this new under Mark Connor and Scott Harris under the new regime because we, we we liked Mark Connor's drafts, if you can call them his drafts in San Diego. There were a lot of fun players taken. Yeah. yeah. We did have a part three from Deadly Ninja Bees. Oh. Dingler is killing it right now, but will his bat play in the majors? I I you can go back and look. We went and saw Dylan Dingler in West Michigan in twenty twenty one. We, we, we saw it was Daniel Cabrera, Spencer Torkelson, and Dylan Dingler all on that team. And we watched for four games. And the immediate takeaway was Dylan Dingler was an absolute stud. And Torkelson and Cabrera were, were not very good. And Torkelson turned it on later. Dingler stayed awesome in, in low A, or it was high A at that point. Just was awesome for six weeks. Got the double A, got off to a really hot start. And then poof. It, it, he got hurt. It went away. He was pedestrian for the rest of the year. He was pedestrian all of last year. He's off to a really hot start this year. I hope he can hit. I, I'm skeptical. He's. I've seen him strike out a ton in person and, and on, on games. I feel like big league pitching is probably going to eat him up a bit. But he still is a terrific athlete and a terrific pitch framer. And he's got a, a cannon of an arm. So he's going to be a big league player. I guess right now I put I put him at the Jake Rogers bar. Can he yeah. be better than Jake Rogers? I don't know. Jake Rogers floundered in Double A for a while too. I think he spent two full years in Double A. Catching is very hard. I remember we talked we talked to Josh Crouch on, on one of the other shows, and it's just everything that they deal with. They're, they're doing research on every hitter, working on the game plan with every pitcher. It's it's hard to take time after all that to then go out there and work on your swing. But yeah, I, I think Dingler will be at least a backup at the MLB level. And I think he still does have the ceiling of an everyday player. 
but you just never know with catchers. There's a Jonah Heim is hitting like 300 this year. And so, who? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes catchers take a while to, to pop. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited about him though. I, I, I've always liked him. Like I said, it's just the, the kind of the shine wore off a little bit over the last two seasons. Okay. And then we just had Cameron. We have gotten into this. It was just Eduardo Rodriguez. If a team is willing to give you two organizational ranked prospects, do you deal him? And he said, if the Tigers are five games out in July. He said, um, game it out. I thought it was a great question. Game it out. If they are, if they're sitting there on July, say 25th, mm-hmm. and they are five games out of first place in the AL Central, even though that might be under 500, <laughs> it could be. What do you do? And let's say there are three teams poking around getting Eduardo Rodriguez. So you have a market to play off with. What do you do with them? That's going to be a really fascinating summer. My guess is that Scott Harris, if he's worth anything at all as a, as a president, he's probably got the next two or three years mapped out in his head, if not in the spreadsheet or like on a wall somewhere. And, and he probably has no intention of competing this year. Like if, if they do compete, who knows, he may change his timeline. But my guess is it'll be like the Orioles last year where they ended up not doing anything at the trade deadline, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're just ahead of their timeline. And the one thing you don't want to do is get out over your skis and think that you're you're better than you are and then not get value when you can. I don't know. It, it really, it, so much of it depends on that market. If you have three teams vying, I think you've got to do it. So you're going to get a, a, a solid deal. You remember Eduardo Rodriguez himself was the product of a deal like that. Yeah. Way back in the day, the Tigers were very close to getting Andrew Miller in 2014, I think it was. From- Sounds right. From the Red Sox and Baltimore came in with a better deal. They offered Eduardo Rodriguez straight up and the Red Sox were like, okay, we'll take that. And it worked out great for them. So sometimes it's just a matter of the deal. Sometimes it's the teams that are involved. I talked about this before. We talked about the Tigers maybe getting excited. What if the Pirates stay good and they feel like, hey, we don't want to spend a bunch of money but it, and we don't want a long-term deal. But we would like to win an extra two games. And that's what, what you're going to get from a pitcher at the trade deadline. 12 starts, maybe. But that gets you one, one and a half, two wins. Top. But when you're a team on the borderline, that could be the difference between the playoffs and not. And then also, he's a possibility for the good teams. Like a really good like a Houston or something like that. Or even a Tampa, some team that, that has the playoffs clinch. But you, you know what? They want, they want a solid number three starter for their playoff rotation. That's the big thing. Yeah. So I think the market is going to be strong. If he's pitching like this, it's going to be a really good market for him. And I think you have to trade him. So it's kind of cross your fingers and, and hope that either the Tigers go nuts and are in first place and it doesn't matter, or he keeps pitching and you can get a solid deal. Yeah. If he keeps I, pitching well and he, he, he needs, they need to hope he becomes the target of a team that will give him the ball in the first three games of a playoff series. Because yeah. that means he has real value to them. That means you can really should be able to extract something you want. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think, like Chris said, just sticking to their plan long term. Even this would be a hot take. Even if they were say in first place, I still think they would. It would probably be the best choice to trade him just for the overall long term future of the franchise to get some young <laughs> players. Like you have Tarek Skubal coming in too, so it could be like in with Rodriguez, you get some young hitters you like, but then you can replace them with Skubal, which we don't know what he's going to be. I mean, John, I agree with you because here's the thing. 
what is the value of winning this ultra weak division long term? What does it mean? What does it mean for 2025 or out there? Probably doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. They could win this. Let's say they won this division and we all go, yay, hooray. Well, their, their, their playoff experience last three games and gone. Okay. Yeah. Great. It was fun. It lasted. Right. Yeah, it's tough because it, it, this is where I miss the, the non-waiver trade deadline or whatever, the waiver trade deadline, the one that yeah. was August 1st. You're like, you could, or yeah, it was like September 1st, right? You could give yourself yes. another month to see what was going on. But I don't know. There are times though where you just have to give in to the magic of baseball, if you will. If if the Tigers were in first place, which is outlandish, let's not. Uh, and they're playing well. And you talked about you like this is a great baseball town. It's a football town above all else because I don't know why. But when the baseball team is good, it's a great baseball town. You saw this the, the ovations people gave to Scherzer and Verlander. They love their players. If the Tigers got good and the city got behind them, it would be awfully tough. You're getting 35,000 players or fans a game, and you're in first place, and you go, you know what? Let's get rid of our best pitcher. Like, <laughs> it would be tough. It would take some balls for the yeah. chance to do that, for the president to do that. And that would be a true test. It, it'll, it, I, I would love to see that happen because for multiple reasons. I think it would be fun to, to have a summer of good baseball and fun to see how serious Scott Harris is about his plan. Yeah. There you go. Um, I, think, I think that's, is that it? I'm going to wrap it up with this Raj free episode. Mostly Raj free, unfortunately. Hope his softball team went well. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Everybody for chatting. Uh, we really appreciate it. Got some good participation today. It was great. Yeah. I, I did have one more thing. I was supposed to get this earlier. Youper, I know you've done some, some cool stuff for me. So I found a picture. Uh I wanted wanted to share. (laughs) This is throwback Youper. Ah, yes. Hey. That was nine years ago. Yeah. Sadly, I was probably about 80 pounds lighter. Okay. That's okay. I was at Kauffman Stadium with my daughter nine years ago today. Oh, wow. We had 9-4. Home runs by Avila and Castellanos. And Verlander had a no-hitter, I think, through five innings. Wow. So it was a beautiful day. We had a one-day trip down to KC. My daughter and I are going back again in a couple of weeks. If, all, if the schedule holds, we haven't been to a game since before the quarantine. So yeah, found that picture today and good memories there at the at Kauffman Stadium. Wonderful place to watch a ball game. That's awesome. Is she, she coming back home from for summer? Yes. Nice. Yeah, she, That's good. She's a, she's a manager at the local pool, public pool. Oh. So she, she's That's in charge awesome. of all the lifeguards and such. So she works pretty hard all summer, but we're going to go catch a couple of games. Awesome. That's, yes. That's very cool. All right. we there are one. no old pictures of me. No. You can, <laughs> if you can find one. No, not online. There aren't any. They okay. don't exist. You said one more thing, John? Today, you can just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Oh. We're 20 yeah, less, absolutely. 25 subscribers away from 1,000, and we get monetized at 1,000, so that would be really, really big for us. And if you guys are in the chat right now and you can subscribe, it'd mean a lot. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for watching. And, yeah, like all, all the usual stuff, you can email us. I think you can send us messages and yeah, we'll be back. I never know if we're going to do a Sunday show. Raj and I will be doing, we'll be doing the minor league show on Sunday, but I never know if there's going to be a business show or not, but we'll let you know, we'll tweet it out and thanks. Thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. I've pressed the end broadcast button, but there's usually like a